Good evening. Let's try that one more time. Good evening. Okay, there you go. Welcome to Wednesday Evening Chapel. Our speaker for this evening is getting prepared. Uh, her name is Brandy Forrest. She's the director of the planning of the Tal Al Hammam excavation project and also the director for Bible Land Expeditions based out of Trinity Southwest University in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So if you can welcome her, she's getting set up here. She's going to help us see how artifacts uh, enlighten the biblical world that we often study. So stand with me this evening as we worship. We're going to begin. We're going to sing a song of hope. And I'm sure m many of you know that we serve our Lord as an everlasting God. Amen? Amen. He doesn't grow tired. He gives us strength when we need it. And we can put our hope and trust in Him. And Scripture tells us that we will soar on wings like eagles and will run and not grow tired. Okay. I think I have this on right. Well, good evening, everyone. Um, to those who have seen me a couple of times today, thank you again for coming to listen. Um, my, as JC said, and a thank you to Dr. King for inviting me out um, to share chapel with you tonight. Um, throughout the day, I've done two other presentations on Tal El Hammam, which we believe to be biblical Sodom. You can ask some of your classmates. They got a deluxe version of it this evening in class. Um, but tonight what I want to talk about is how artifacts can illuminate the biblical world. Um, for many, um, when archaeology uh, brings biblical narratives to light, frequently uh, those scholars, the proof, are often dismissed as mythological, etiological, unreal, not properly dated. And what I want to show you tonight is that the actual artifacts that I've brought here um, from Tal El Hammam actually serve to show the strength of the historical authenticity of our biblical narrative. So I, I'm the director of planning for the Tal El Hammam excavation project, and let's see, get the first one up there. Sorry about this. Perfect. <laughs> okay. Actually, that um, that's a great view of the excavation site. Before we begin talking about how artifacts specifically illuminate the ancient world. Um, the main hill is the tall, is our upper tall. Um, we believe it to be biblical Sodom. We actually, as some of your classmates heard tonight, have walked through the evidence. It is overwhelming. The destruction, the evidence for it is overwhelming. We have Trinitite, naturally occurring event for the destruction. We have the layers of occupation. We have the correct dating. Um, it is biblical Sodom. It is not in the south end of the Dead Sea. It is located at the north end. We have the facts and the artifacts to show us that. Okay, so um, to start, this is going to be a shorter presentation. I want all, each and every one of you to be able to come up, look at the artifacts, hear what they are about, and actually be able to touch some of them. Okay? Um, so let me, let me begin with the view of the Bible. Um, for many, 
As some of you may know, the Bible is on one side and archaeology is on the other. At the Tal al Excavation Project, we try to bring biblical studies, theology, and archaeology all together in one approach called the dialogical approach. We look at the text, we analyze the text, we look at the historical markers, the geographical markers, and then we translate it to the ground. We look, for what we, we look at what we find in the ground, we analyze it, and we take it back to the text. Okay, so it's a circular process. It works well. We have biblical Sodom. Okay, but to get there, it requires bringing archaeology and the biblical text into dialogue with one another. Um, and it means changing your view of the Bible a little bit. Um, the Bible now needs to become not only a sacred text for the multitude of faithful, but it also needs to become a historically authentic document of eyewitness interpretations consistent with the writing style of ancient authors. Ancient authors didn't invent history or geographies or markers. The artifacts discovered and the stories they tell strengthen that dialogue between text and ground. There we go. So, to touch, analyze, and interpret an artifact continually redefines our view of ancient civilizations and their historical narrative. The artifacts deposited by ancient peoples can, through their specific location, potentially identify cultural, economic, and social indicators of a specific group. The principal aim of analyzing artifacts is to reconstruct a civilization's history as best we can. Given modern technology and techniques, um, sometimes that's rather difficult. Sometimes we have to stand outside of our contemporary ideas and judgments and actually step foot into the past. Okay. When examining the biblical narrative, an artifact cannot prove the narrative true or false. However, it can illuminate the lifetimes and context of both the events and the author. As archaeologists, when we touch an artifact, a window opens through which we can view the ancient past. John McRae tells how archaeology helps to place biblical characters and events within the stream of extra-biblical history and geography. However, it is not only archaeology, but the artifacts themselves, which allow us to actually touch that history. And you're going to do so in a few moments. They help to deepen our understanding of the biblical text, not only within our spiritual context, but also as a historically authentic document. Artifacts can help to take a black and white, two-dimensional text, illuminate it, and turn it into a three-dimensional, tangible image which provides the reader and viewer with a direct connection to the ancient narrative. As an example, although not a traditional artifact, uh, but rather an architectural archaeological object, a defensive city gate associated with the early Bronze Age, such as the one found at Tal el-Hammam, can tie a tangible three-dimensional feature with the setting of a biblical text. Genesis 19.1, Lot was sitting in the gateway of Sodom. Okay, we have not found the little placard that says Lot was here. Um, we're still looking for it. Um, <laughs> But we can come close with the gates, okay? Um, and as you can see, some of you are already familiar with it, but as you can see, here's the reconstruction from Dr. Lane Rittmeyer. 
Um, here's the actual gate. And then here is actually um, one of the archaeologists, the field archaeologists who was working in there. This is actually his top dra down drawing so that you can actually see where the opening occurred. Okay. Let's see. Okay. This is an ammonite figurine that was discovered this past season. And this Iron Age, it's an Iron Age ammonite figurine. And it can speak to us about religious and spiritual practices of an ancient people. Um, one of the most common things that we have in our church services today is music, as evidenced by the opening of your chapel. Um, the Ammonite figurine was found in a sacral type setting. She is carrying an instrument. Um, it's kind of interesting to connect our modern day worship with music to that of an ancient people who also use music in their religious practices. A piece of pottery can date a site directly, tying it to a specific time period. Suddenly, both culture and context become associated with the biblical narrative. The woman at the well holding a jug of water. The jug, when we find it, becomes real. It ties us to that narrative. I'm not saying the woman at the well was at Sodom, by the way. No, <laughs> just making the point. <laughs> In closing, I, I want to take a moment. Um, and I haven't been asked this tonight, and it's probably given the fact that I'm at a Bible college um, where, the, uh, where the Bible is very respected as a historically authentic text and a sacred document. But many times when um, the staff and I have to go outside and do this for scientifically oriented archaeologists who question biblical archaeology at every turn, um, it's easy to forget why we do what we do. And so in, in the preparation of this presentation and many others, we have a, a colleague of mine at the school, and she made the remark that although we as archaeologists use artifacts, science, and analysis as mediums for understanding the historical authenticity of the biblical narrative, we cannot disassociate God from what we do. Okay. He, the ancient artifacts discovered at Tal el Hammam serve as a tie which binds our modern humanity with those of our ancestors. Every artifact has a story to explore, and for us that narrative is intricately intertwined with the biblical text. Um, Sodom, for many, for many it's a symbolic story. For those of us who dig it every year, who have waded through the ash of the destruction layer, who have examined the Trinitite, who have looked at the dating, who have read the pottery, we know the story is real. We know it's historically authentic. We know it's an eyewitness account. And um, I invite you to come up, actually, and this is the end of the formal presentation, and experience the artifacts that illuminate Tal el Hammam and biblical Sodom. So thank you. Okay, come on. Y'all got to come up. So what I'm going to do is briefly describe each piece. You can feel free to ask me questions. Um, the only two pieces that we ask that you do not pick up are the two in the middle. Obviously, this one is rather fragile, and this is the only one in the world still intact today. So um, we'll actually begin with those. This is an early Bronze Age pitcher 
probably used in a ritual type setting on an altar. It contained oils and salt. Um, the reason we can tell it was ritual is because it only has black burn on two sides, which is where the incense burners would have stood. And we have actual documentation of that from historical texts. Okay, um, we've swabbed this and that we have evidence of the oils and the salt. Okay. Okay. I get in big trouble if I break them, you know. Um, I'm actually the only one on our staff who's allowed to take the artifacts out. Apparently I have the most steady hand. I think that's rather humorous. Um, <laughs> Anyway, um, the other piece is a piece of tall LUDA ware. It is the, the finest pottery of that time period. It was highly sought after. It was traded among the empires, um, including ancient Egypt, Mesopotamia, the Hittite kingdoms, Babylonian, through the Euphrates, through the caravan routes. Everybody wanted this pottery. Um, it was solid. It was beautiful. And even today in the detailing, the white that you see in the detailing around the edge is the limestone that they placed in it in ancient times. It is still there. This would have been a ritual oil juglet and it would have sat on the altar. Um, it actually lays flat. Let's see if it holds. Okay, um, we actually have it standing. It is one of the, it is the last one still intact that we've been able to preserve. Okay, um, so who's good at catching? Don't drop it. It's a sling stone that dates back to the time period of David and Goliath. It is not David and Goliath's sling stone. And the pink is not dried blood. Okay, let me get that over with. <laughs> Um, what's interesting, I, I, as I've told the other presentations, it's actually pocked, and most people think of a slingstone as smooth. We have a, an academic on our staff that actually believes that the pock marks are there because they used a natural poison, so that when they hit you with it and it broke the skin, the poison would kill you faster. Okay. Um, it kind of brings that story to life, doesn't it? And feel free, pass it around. Don't throw it back in, please. I am not catch well. Pass it around. Please feel it. It is heavy. Unbelievably so. Suddenly you know how David won. Okay. Um, so um, on this side, um, with the exception of the few who were in the crowd in the other presentation, does anyone know what this is? It's an ancient fire starter. They would bury this deep in the ground, build a mound up around it of, of uh, backfill and wood chips. You'd have the piece of wood, and it would actually hold the wood in, in place while they struck the flint over it. So that's actually pretty interesting. You can pass it around. So suddenly the birth of fire looks a little bit better, huh? <laughs> um, on this site. Um, one of the biggest difficulties in the Old Testament facing the ancient Jews were, um, was idol worship, right? They had some trouble with that, huh? Mm -hmm. um, and and um, one of the things, <coughs> excuse me, at Tal El Hammam that they did, Tal El Hammam has one of the biggest sacroscape um, dolmen field, which is a secondary ritual burial site where a lot in Jewish times, in Canaanite times, ancient times, they would go to actually um, to uh, pay homage to their dead ancestors, 
give sacrifices to their gods. Their idols and those sacrifices would be pulled in what's called a small uh, cultic cart. This is one of the wheels off of a cultic cart. The rest of the cart is in the Salt Museum in Jordan because they don't let us take the big pieces out. <laughs> they let me take the wheel out. Um, but the wheel, it's sturdy. You can kind of see how it was molded. You can take it, pass it around. Just please be careful, like I said. Um, just, you can come up and breathe on it, but don't just don't touch them. <laughs> okay, so the last couple of um, last pieces on this side, these are actually pottery shirts. This is what we find a lot of. And like I have said in my presentation, a pot has the ability to completely identify site. We know biblical Sodom would have had a continuous occupational gap. Uh, a continuous occupational uh, profile with a small gap. We have the gap and we have the continuous occupational profile by evidence by the pottery. These are early Bronze Age pieces. You can tell they did the detailing by hand or fingernail. They, these are ledge handles, so it would have held the pot like this. This jar actually would have come out and come all the way down and stood about here on me and that high, it was actually a storage jar. Okay, um, back in the same time period in which these pottery shirts are found, um, the fast pottery, how many of you do pottery? Do I have any, I know you had said you'd done pottery before, but it's done on a fast wheel, right? That wasn't invented until the Middle Bronze Age. So prior to that, what they did was they rolled out these stones and they etched them. They carved the stones, they stuck a stick through here, and they would have run it across the soft pottery to make their designs, okay? And this was before they had a, a fast wheel. Um, and in some cases, in rare cases, we do occasionally find a more advanced version of this that could be run around the wheel. Who wants to touch it? There you go. Um, the last and final piece <clears throat> is, thank you, is an Iron Age chalice. And I apologize, please, if you come up and touch it, that's fine. Just make sure you lay it back down, upside down. The bottom does have two pieces missing. This is, like I said, an Iron Age chalice. It would have been filled with liquid. It would have been used for meals. Um, it is the precursor to what you would have found at the Lord's table during the Last Supper in the New Testament narrative. Um, and, and that's, I love that piece because it gives you a visual idea of what um, uh, something tangible on a dinner table that could have occurred, and all the meals that are um, uh, outlined throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, everything gets done over a meal, before, after, during, and so the idea of a chalice off of that table really brings to life those meals. Please feel free, come up, ask me questions. Like I said, anything but those two. <laughs> And if you would like to come to the dig, we take volunteers. Um, we've worked out an agreement for your school for reduced dig fees. We would love to have you. We provide all your lecturing and education, field school, and we give you a good price. And you get to work with me. <laughs> come on, sign up, grab the paperwork, sign up. We can, I can take care of you. <laughs>